Good morning, listeners. I hope today finds you well. My name is Wilson McCoy with College Hills Church of Christ here in Lebanon, Tennessee, and I want to say a big thank you for listening in to our weekly radio broadcast. This broadcast is one of several options that our church currently offers, and I would encourage you to go to collegehills.org where you can find out a little bit more about our congregation and some of the other ways in which we are trying to stay connected in our community and stay connected to you through online and on-campus gatherings. And you can find out more about that at collegehills.org. As you may or may not know, we're currently journeying through a series that we're calling A Summer of Sin, Seven Ways to Ruin and Redeem Your Life. And what we're doing over the course of the summer is looking at the seven deadly sins and what they can teach us about the kinds of people that we're called to be today. And today we're going to be looking at the sin of anger, and our passage for the day is going to be Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Be first reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for your word, and I pray that as we spend time reflecting on this passage and others in Scripture, that you would lead us to a deeper understanding of who you are and who you've called us to be. I pray that you would give me the gift of preaching and teaching and that you would give us all the gift of open hearts, that we would hear your voice and be transformed by it more into the image of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In 2015, a movie was released by Pixar Productions that was called Inside Out. If you haven't seen the movie, the movie's basic plot line follows the story of a young girl named Riley and her basic emotions that are guiding her and changing her through a variety of seasons that she goes through as a young girl. For part of the movie, you will see her living her life from a external perspective in a traditional way that a movie would be shot, but then from time to time the camera angle changes and we're taken inside Riley's brain where we can see all of these different emotions that are also experiencing and encountering these different seasons and situations that she's going through. And in the movie, there are five basic emotions that we get introduced to over the course of the movie. Joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger. The movie is entertaining and it's enjoyable. It may be one of my favorite movies of Pixar because it captures something that 
we all experience on a daily basis, whether we realize it or not. That as we go through our lives, as we go through seasons and situations, it's not just us that's going through them, but also these different emotions that we experience. And the movie's helpful because for a lot of us, we have these emotions that we experience, but trying to identify them and name them and figure out how they are impacting us on a day-to-day basis is not necessarily something that we are easily trained to do. And so lighthearted comedy movie cartoons like this one can help us to begin to develop some of those skills and talents and abilities to name our emotions and pay a bit more attention to how they're shaping us and impacting us. Because they don't just in the movie show the emotions of Riley, but they also show how the emotions of her parents are also interacting with them and how they all interact together as a family, a reminder that it isn't just us who on a daily basis are experiencing these different emotions, but also the people around us. And so the movie also helps us to appreciate how others are processing and being shaped by different emotions that they're feeling at any given time. One of the things that makes this particular cartoon endearing is how each of those five emotions that I named just a second ago, joy, sadness, fear, disgust, and anger, are depicted. And it should come as no surprise to you that for the sake of this lesson, the emotion that I'm going to highlight is anger in the way anger is depicted. In the movie, anger is this short red character who lives inside of Raleigh, but when anger gets triggered, when anger gets riled up, so to speak, that little red character has flames of fire coming out of its head. So when Riley experiences anger, the way that's depicted inside of her is with flames of fire emerging from the head of this little red character. Fire is often a concept and an image that we carry with us when we think about anger. If you pay attention to a lot of the expressions that we use when talking about anger, there are undercurrents of fire in a lot of those expressions. You can think about someone when they get angry who say, I blew a fuse. Or they might say, I just erupted. Or I'm fuming mad. Or I'm hot under the collar. There's something about anger that that movie depicts that captures a way that we talk about anger so often. Anger as this fire. Anger as these flames of fire that can impact us in so many different ways. Sometimes those ways can be really good, but sometimes those ways can be really bad. I think that's why fire is such an important and helpful way, such an important and helpful image for us when thinking about this sin of anger, which 
to be honest, I hesitate to immediately call it a sin because the nature of anger can work, not just in sinful directions, but also in helpful directions. I like this quote of Will Williman who says, Anger is that paradoxical sin which can be the engine that drives us on to do our best, or it can be that which incapacitates us and leads us to do our worst. I'll say it again. Anger is that paradoxical sin, which can be the engine that drives us to do our best, or it can be that which incapacitates us and leads us to do our worst. And I love that quote because it identifies something that I think we all resonate with when it comes to anger. That, number one, anger is a normal emotion that we all experience. And yet, what we do with that anger can send us in some very healthy ways, but it can also send us in some very toxic ways. Anger can guide us into doing good, but it can also guide us into some very bad behaviors and outcomes. And it's that tension of anger that I want us to consider today as we think about what anger is and how we might steward it like a fire, not just in good ways, but also to consider how sometimes anger is used in such ways that it leads us down bad paths, paths of sin, paths that ultimately lead to destruction. Because as we all know, flames of fire can warm houses, they can provide guidance in dark seasons, it can do good things. We also know that fire, if left unchecked, can be very destructive and cause terrible things to happen. And so I want us to consider both of these angles of anger today, hopefully to see the good that it can possibly bring, but also to note the warnings that we should be aware of as we try to be people who don't get trapped by this sin, and allow it to end up becoming a destructive, sinful force in our lives. And so, on the one hand, we should first consider the good. The good that anger can sometimes guide us towards in our life. And I think the best model for us to consider when considering how Anger can lead us into some good directions in our life is to consider the life of Jesus. When we consider the life of Jesus, we are considering the life of someone who teaches us how to live, how to be fully human. And the thing that makes Jesus the perfect person for us to look like in our lives and for us to look to for our lives is the ways in which he fully embodied humanity and divinity. And in this perfect embodiment of both divinity and humanity, one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus is that 
there are these moments where he gets angry. A few examples that I think are worth noting is first in John chapter 11, where we have this episode of Lazarus passing away and Jesus coming to the tomb of Lazarus. And when he comes to the tomb of Lazarus, he meets Mary. Mary, who is visibly shaken, visibly upset, filled with grief and weeping. And what we read there are these words in John eleven thirty two, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. The word that is used there that's translated deeply moved in spirit carries this undercurrent of anger in the word that is used here. Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus and he feels deeply. He feels deep sadness and he feels deep anger. Jesus is upset that death is run rampant in the world and it is a force that still impacts those that he loves. And as the scene unfolds, what we see in the next few verses is Jesus responding out of that deep sadness and that deep anger and raising Lazarus to life. This moment is a good example of how Jesus, feeling deep emotions of sadness and anger, is motivated to work towards bringing about life in this world. A reminder to us, a glimpse to us, that anger, when stewarded well, can help us to become advocates for life in this world. Because we know that the ways and powers of death are not the intentions of God in the world, and our sadness and anger over those things can motivate us. Jesus shows us that when we feel deeply, when we're deeply moved in spirit by emotions like anger, emotions like deep grief, that it can produce in us the kinds of people who are trying to bring about the purposes of God in the world. Which leads to another example also in the Gospel of John that is probably the quote-unquote most well-known example of Jesus getting upset, but it's the cleansing of the temple where Jesus goes into the temple and does what? He goes into the temple and he sees what the temple has become. He goes into the temple in John 2, and this event is also recorded in the other three Gospels. But in John 2, the way that the scene is presented is he goes in and he notices that there are temple sellers. There's this marketplace that has broken out in the temple. And so what does Jesus do? 
He overturns the tables there in the temple, and he indicts the people there, teaching them and quoting prophecies of old. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. Jesus is upset at what the people of God had turned the temple into. They had turned it into something that God never intended for it to become. They had strayed from the purposes of God, and that upset Jesus. Again, we see anger linked to something that is not of God's purposes in the world. What makes Jesus upset when he sees death running rampant in the world and his people still being entrapped and enslaved to death, but also we see him being upset in the ways in which they are entrapping themselves by how they are not being the people that God has called them to be. It's the same reason that we see and hear Jesus speak these famous woe to you Pharisees in Matthew 23. If you read Matthew 23, you see some really intense language of Jesus. And it's this language that's directed at not just the people of God, but those who would have been considered the leaders of the people of God. And he's upset with them because of what they've done to God's law and what they've done to the people of God, how they have become these agents of oppression, these agents of injustice, pushing and placing these great weights upon other people, but they themselves not lifting a finger. These leaders had strayed from the purposes of God to bring life and liberation to the people, but instead they were using the laws of God in order to oppress and to push down others. And that made Jesus upset to the point where he gives this indicting list of woe after woe after woe to the people, to the leaders of the people. And so we see this theme in the life and ministry of Jesus where he does get upset, he does get angry, but the anger is always connected. It's always connected to the nature of who God is, this God who desires life-giving purpose in the world, this God who is in covenant with people and desires for those people to live in certain ways, this God who wants there to be justice and righteousness in the land. And when those things don't happen, it grieves Jesus, it angers Jesus, and so he tries to act in ways and with words that bring people back to the purposes of God. And that, I think, is a good reminder for us of the times and places and and moments where anger can be a good thing, when it motivates us to change, to move back towards God's purposes, when it motivates us to want to bring about changes that align with the purposes and desires of God. Those can be opportunities for us where our anger can be a catalyst for change for the good. However, and this is a big however, it should come as no surprise what I'm about to say. However, none of us are Jesus. (laughs) We're striving to be like Jesus. We're aiming towards becoming more like Jesus, but 
we're still not Jesus. And so even in our best of moments, yes, our anger can be a catalyst for change towards the purposes of God. But there is an even larger theme in Scripture for the people of God, for those of us who aren't Jesus, that more often than not we see these warnings and cautions and condemnations against allowing anger to become a toxic, destructive, sinful force in our life. Because like Jesus, we are fully human, but we are not fully divine. And that fully human part of us can so often cause our anger to go in ways that are not helpful or healthy. And Scripture says a lot of warning and gives a lot of wisdom for us about how not to let anger become that kind of destructive force in our life. I read earlier Matthew 5, that well-known teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he is trying to get the people of God to go back to the heart of God by looking at their own hearts. And Jesus makes this radical claim that once upon a time, the interpretation of the law was simply, don't murder. And if you murder, you'll be subject to judgment. But Jesus goes to the heart of the matter and says that at the core of murder is anger in your heart. And to get back to your heart and begin dealing with that anger in your heart. Because if it takes root, it can produce destruction in how we speak to our brothers and sisters, in how we relate to our brothers and sisters. And it can become this destructive force that creates barriers in the relationships that God wants between brothers and sisters. Not just between us and God, but between us and those around us. And so what Jesus calls for in that teaching is for us to be proactive. Proactive in trying to restore relationship. Proactive in trying to settle matters of difference quickly. Proactive in being agents of reconciliation so that anger doesn't take root so deeply in our hearts that all relationships in our lives end up destroyed, which I think is a good reminder for us that when we do feel that anger that we will inevitably and naturally feel, that we strive to be proactive in how we handle it in redemptive and healing and reconciling ways. If you follow the teaching of the early church beyond the Gospels, And into the letters of Paul, what you're going to find is you're going to find more of the same. Paul reminding the early church in a letter to the Colossians of their new baptismal identity. And part of that baptism is for them to remove old ways of life and to put on new ways of life in Christ. And as Paul is listing off some of the ways in which they are to remove and put off these old ways, one of the things that he names is this cluster of words that all are around anger. He says in Colossians 3 verse 8, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Paul uses all of these words that are kind of like tentacles off of this reality of anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. All is the ways in which anger can manifest in these very destructive, toxic ways in our life. Again, Paul uses proactive language in the same way that Jesus uses proactive language to proactively try to rid yourself of these things because they reflect an old way of life, not the new way of life in Christ. It sounds very similar to what we hear Paul write in Ephesians 4, where he writes in Ephesians 4.26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Again, Paul, admitting the reality of anger, but also making note that we should not allow it to lead us into sin. Don't give the devil a foothold. In other words, be proactive in preventing anger from allowing you to walk a path that is going to be filled with destruction of yourself and of relationship with others. And so to wrap up, I want to offer some ideas about how I think we can be proactive. Proactive so that we don't allow anger to lead us down destructive paths that ultimately destroy relationship with God and relationship with each other. Number one is simply being willing to name our anger. The more that we're willing to name our emotions, the more able we are to tame our emotions. The more willing that we are to simply name the fact that we are experiencing anger helps us and sets us up to better be able to steward that anger in ways or to quench that anger in ways that will keep us down a righteous and holy path. Number two, learn from the anger. Don't just name the anger, but also learn from the anger. And what I mean by that is is that often our anger is a kind of signpost or signal teaching us something about what's important to us, about what we value, and by tuning into the anger that we're feeling, we can often begin to discern what's below the surface of the anger, so to speak. Why am I so upset? What is it that I value? What is so important to me that is causing me to feel anger right now? And to tune into that and turn into that and learn from that anger in order to teach us about what's really going on in our hearts. Number three is simply discerning our anger. And by discerning, I mean trying to notice if what we're experiencing and feeling is really anger or is it really something else. And by that, I mean so often anger can be covering up a deeper emotion like fear or sadness, or a deep hurt, 
And so anger becomes a kind of mask. It becomes a kind of cover that is holding below it something deeper that we need to tune into and pay attention to. And by discerning our anger, often we can figure out what is really going on below the surface. Fourth and finally is simply praying our anger. And by praying our anger, I mean drawing our attention to the book of Psalms, where what we find there are the people of God time and time again prayerfully expressing their anger to God. In fact, all three of these steps, naming our anger, learning from our anger, discerning our anger, I think I would put them all under this canopy of praying our anger, prayerfully working through our anger and bringing it for God, before God in order that and in hopes that God might transform us through our admission and confession and openness before God about who we are, how we're feeling, and by the power of God, God might transform us to be people who better and more fully reflect His image. And so this week, my hope and my prayer is that no matter what we may feel, that we would bring those feelings before God and allow God to do a good work in us. Amen.